I know we're all full of international food and now we're comfortable and probably sleepy. Um, so let's uh, not fall asleep just yet. Uh, but let's kind of, I wanted to wrap up our thoughts a little bit together as we talk about missions in the local church and kind of what every, next, every believer's next steps can be. Um, again, global missions is a huge task in which we're all to engage. And as we started this week, we kind of uh, said, yeah, Lego did a really good job at that. If you were with us Wednesday night, we kind of used that illustration that um, Lego realized that we need to show you what the end result looks like before you're going to spend $800 on a Millennium Falcon, <laughs> right? So we showed you the picture of the Millennium Falcon. We kind of showed you all of the Legos. Because if they showed you just a big empty box or a big box of just gray Legos unconstructed, you probably wouldn't spend a dime on it, right? But we need to send that in, see that in picture in our minds. And God has given that as well. We looked at Revelation, kind of this picture around the throne room of God where every people and tribe and nation and tongue are singing praise to the Lord and glorifying him forever. And God gave us that snapshot of what the end uh, what the end goal is going to look like, or at least a glimpse of it. So now that we kind of have that, had that origin story, we talked about this redemptive momentum that God initiated, and then throughout the book of Acts, we see it picking up speed and picking up momentum throughout uh, the book of Acts, throughout the New Testament. With this morning, we talked about Titus and how that church there, that local church, continued that momentum, highlighting the beauty of the gospel to everyone in the church, as well as in the community. So this journey of redemption and reconciliation, this incredible journey has come to us, incorporated us, and we're to engage in that journey for God's glory. So what I want to share with you tonight is to try to kind of tie things together with what we've talked about this week with some of the things you talked about last year, so we kind of have some continuity from year to year because it's kind of one long thought progression. So we started with the idea this week that, and I hope you all agree with this, that we are called to engage in missions, to see the mission of God accomplished, the vision of God realized for the sake of his name among, among the nations. So with that kind of reminder in mind, what I want to do tonight is help build kind of a framework uh, through which we can have a better understanding of what the local church's role is in this whole conversation of missions. So to do that, we're going to look at Acts again, big surprise. <laughs> Uh, and what I want to do, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 11. If not, I think we'll have some of the verses here on the screen. I know sometimes it's hard to balance your egg rolls with your Bible, so I understand if you didn't bring them tonight. Um, so remember in Acts, a lot was changing in the world. Things were transitioning uh, to what we call the church age. Chapters 1 through 7, Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12, Judea, Galilee, Samaria. We come to chapter 13. The gospel is launched out into a missionary era to the entire Roman world. And from this point, um, the center of activity has changed, right? Chapters 1 through 12, the activity is kind of centered on Jerusalem, going in and out. And when we come to 13, uh, it shifts to the city of Antioch. So... 
just want to read a little bit with you uh, chapter 11, verse 19 through 30. Uh, you'll see it on the screen there. Uh, and if you'll follow along with me in verse 19. Now, now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many of people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. All right, so that's kind of happening in chapter 11. We're transitioning so Paul and Barnabas stay in Antioch for a whole year. They're actively serving, they're teaching, uh, disciples are being made, they're a part of the community, they're part of the church, and the church realizes we need to send some relief. So let's send Paul and Barnabas. Um, so even in this, we can already see the role of the church starting to function. We'll come back to this, okay, but have this in your mind. Barnabas was sent out of the church in Jerusalem Chapter 11, verse 22, Barnabas and Saul were now sent out of the church in Antioch. So keep that in your mind. Now, when you go to chapter 12, we're not going to read chapter 12, but the majority of it is about Peter when he was imprisoned by Herod, and then he's rescued by angel, and then Herod searches for Peter, can't find him. It's, it's really an interesting series of events that you should definitely take the time to read. Uh, not right now, but the end result of chapter 12 is of these events is persecution, but in, at the end of chapter 12, verse 24, we see the end result of all that's going on in chapter 12, this persecution that's coming to the church, and, but the word of God increased and multiplied. That's that kingdom growth we talked about on Wednesday. All this momentum in the church wasn't driven by really cool ideas or trendy pastors with skinny jeans. The growth in the church was driven by the word of God increasing and multiplying. That's the driving force behind all this, this growth, this momentum. Don't, don't miss that. Several times throughout the New Testament, we see the church explodes, and oftentimes it's during persecution. But during those times, the word of God is increasing. The word of God is multiplying. So how many of you have ever prayed, God, please help our church to grow? Careful for what you ask for. Because these believers in Acts, if they were asking God, please help our church to grow, that brought persecution on them. So just saying. Um, but in Acts chapter 12, 25, we see Barnabas and Saul return to Jerusalem. 
They've completed their service. They had John Mark with them. Um, so now let's go into chapter 13. Now we know that they were serving, they were active in the church there, because if we keep reading, and when we come to 13, Luke starts verse one with this word now. Now that's not a really super interesting word other than it signals that something different is getting ready to happen. So as you're reading through the narrative, chapter 13 says now, it's almost as if it's saying, okay, listen up, something's gonna happen now and you need to pay attention. Now, they were in the church at Antioch, chapter 13, verse 1, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So God would use this event described in chapter 13 to change the world, right? To change the world as God's mission grows from local to global. This is the moment when global missions is born and launched out. Now, the, the stage is set for global missions. What I'd like to do is have you kind of reflect on all that we've read from chapter 11 through the beginning of 13 and I just want to draw some conclusions and then think through some applications with you about what we've read um, as we kind of wrap up our time together this week. If you could put that white chart up on the board, I believe Jamie kind of walked through this a little bit with you last year. Um, what I'd like to do is think through what's going on in the book of Acts and then reflect on how Jesus gave the Great Commission and see where they overlap. How many of you remember using overhead transparencies in school? Okay, a lot of us, uh, I was talking with someone earlier and they were like, yeah, we had the grease pencils. I remember those two. And then we switched to, uh, to the overhead markers, right? And then that was math class, was always somebody drawing all over the overhead. Uh, we even had in churches, maybe here too, you had the overhead projector. Um, so imagine an overhead projector and we're gonna lay each kind of great commission principle down on top of each other. And hopefully by the end of tonight, we'll have this really, really cool picture of how the local church can live out the great commission givings and see really where our role is in, in this whole thing we call missions. So hopefully that'll work out uh, together. So we're gonna kind of come back to this every now and then. So you kind of just keep that uh, in your mind. The, the first conclusion I wanna draw based on what we've read, is that the church is to be involved in identifying those in the membership that God might be equipping for ministry. Often this is done through giving people a chance to serve and then watching what they do. So when the leaders ask you to serve in a specific way, that very well could be a way of the church leadership identifying you or identifying your giftedness, hey, this could be a person that could serve, whether it's here at MVBC or somewhere around the world. But we, through serving, through engaging, through living out your faith, the local church leadership can have an opportunity to identify, hey, this person might have a gift for serving or might have a specific kind of leaning or desire for ministry. It's not a coincidence that in Acts 13, 1, 
um, we're, we're pointed to the fact that these men were in the church. They were in the church. They were identified members. They were actively serving. They were active in the local church. They were actively worshiping the Lord, right? This gives us an indication of their physical actions. They were fasting. This gives us an idea of their spiritual service. Isn't it interesting how Scripture often points to, to people that uh, we, see, we see that the people God uses to accomplish great things for him are already actively pursuing serving him? When you think of David, Barnabas, Paul, Philip, all of these individuals were actively serving or seeking the Lord when God enlisted them into greater things. So a question we can ask ourselves is, do we want to be used by God to see his kingdom built, to see his mission progress? Well, then a way we can respond to that is this. Be active in serving in and through your local church. Live it out. Live it out. Over my time here this week, I've heard several stories of some of your people here living out their faith, living out what it means to serve. Earlier today, I heard the, the, the story of how there was a neighbor here to the church that just really did not like <laughs> the church or the people at the church to the point where someone was actually told, if you walk on my property, I will shoot you. It's a nice neighbor. <laughs> but rather than just avoiding them completely, this individual, this representative of the church family here, engaged them in relationship and grew in relationship and lived out their faith in front of this person in interacting and engaging with them to the point now that that individual has a relative here as part of the youth group. Now that's a big step to go from, I'm going to shoot you, <laughs> to I want my family to be ministered to, you know, ministered by you. Right? That's amazing. That's part of serving. That's part of living it out. Right? Be active in living out your faith here in this community and serving. So conclusion one would be identifying, right? The local church can help in identifying people for ministry. And as the church body, one way we can respond to that is live it out, live out our faith. So a second conclusion I want to kind of draw your attention to is that the church is to be involved in equipping and empowering people for ministry. Now, as Paul and Barnabas ministered to the church, there must have been this mutual edifying and equipping that took place. Remember that when the church in Jerusalem first sent Barnabas to Antioch, the church in Antioch was a pretty new body of believers. And after spending a year there, the believers in Antioch grew in maturity to the point that they were called Christians. And again, that, that wasn't meant to be like a positive thing. That was actually a negative thing that the community was calling them. But but the believers there wore it as a badge of, badge of honor that we are, we are privileged, right, to identify with Christ. We are Christians. How did they grow in boldness and maturity? I believe they were equipped by leadership. Paul would, would later share this principle with the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4. 
verse 11 and 12, where the gifted leaders in the church are to equip the saints so that the saints would be able to do the work of the ministry, both doing their God-given role in the church so that God is glorified and the church is edified. So Paul and Barnabas had equipped the saints in Antioch for the work of the ministry. How had they equipped them? Here's where I think we're going to start seeing some overlap with some of the things you talked about last year with this chart that's on the, that's on the screen. Well, they equipped them with the message of missions. And what's that message? It's the gospel. How do we know that? Oh, well, because Jesus told us. In Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 49, as you'll see uh, on the screen there, in that chart shows us the message of missions. This passage takes place right after the road to Emmaus. And then in this passage in Luke, Jesus appears before the disciples and speaks with them and eats with them. And this is what he shares. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. The message of missions comes straight from scripture here. That Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed among the nations. That's the message. That's the gospel that's the message that Paul and Barnabas equipped the believers at Antioch with. It's not social reform. It's not critical race theory. It's not feelings-driven agenda, right? It's not these empty promises. It's a message that we must proclaim that focuses on Jesus and how he came to rescue mankind from our sin, right? That, that's the message. So if the church leadership is to help equip and empower us for ministry, then what's, what's our part? Well, I think a point of application is, is that we are to be equipped <laughs> and we're to be empowered. We're to grow in our clarity and our understanding of the gospel. How does this happen? Well, it could be a small group activity. It could be um, being involved in an adult Sunday school. It could be doing one-on-one -on -one disciple making. You know, you could have a number of, apple, of ways to kind of flesh that out. However you flesh it out, we need to be equipped, right? So that we can do the work of the ministry. So the church has a responsibility to identify, to equip and empower. As, as the members of the church, we have a responsibility to live it out, right? Live out our faith, be equipped, be empowered. The third conclusion I want to point your attention to is that the church is to be involved in affirming. The church is to be involved in affirming. So if you think back to Acts 13, when the Holy Spirit said, set aside for me Paul and Barnabas, what was the response of the leaders? Well, in verse 13, it says, they prayed and they fasted and they laid their hands on them, endowing them with supernatural powers to raise the dead, heal the sick, and convert the pagan. Amen? 
minutes. Somebody agreed with me. No, that's not what it says. They did not, laying their hands on them, did not endow them with some supernatural ability. What it did was it was affirming their agreement with what the Holy Spirit had already done. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever had, you know, deacons or, or, or elders when, when you come? Typically, when, when you kind of install new deacons, people will come or a new pastor, they'll come and lay their hands on them. Now, in the past, if, if you do that, when you did that, there, there wasn't some like super awesome like jolt of super spiritualness that kind of jumped into them after they were laid their hands on. What it was is, is the church affirming what God has already done. And I think that's what we see here in Acts 13. The church was affirming the giftedness that they'd seen lived out and that the Holy Spirit had called them to, had set, it, set them apart for. So they were affirming them as being gifted, right? Well-equipped to engage in the mission that God was giving. Now, what is that mission? Seems like a simple answer, right? But when you're stepping into cross-cultural missions, it's often confused. So let me just remind you briefly, let's look at how Jesus described the mission of missions. There's two verses that are kind of the two perspectives of the same event. One is Mark 16, and one is Matthew 28. Mark 16, we could probably all, if we tried, we could say it from memory, right? Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation, right? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. What's the mission we've been given? Preach the gospel. Matthew 28 Again, it's a, it's, it's a different perspective on the same event. In Matthew, we're recorded, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. So what aspect of the mission is highlighted here? Make disciples, right? Preach the gospel, make disciples as we're going as we're baptizing, as we're teaching, we're to make disciples. Guys, as we live out this principle, disciple-making isn't something that we should engage in or it's not a task that we should do. The sense of Matthew 28 is that making disciples should just be a part of the way we live. It should be in our very DNA as believers as we're being equipped, as we're being empowered, what should flow out of that should be a disciple-making lifestyle. Not a, not a task that we're like, yep, I've made a disciple, check that off the bucket list, let's move on. It's a way of life. So if affirming is, what, uh, is an action that the, that the church can take a part in. An application for us would be be active in missions where you are, right? Engage others. On Thursday night, I asked you, well, Wednesday, I asked you to look at each other and ask, where do you fit? Where do you fit into this journey? 
And then Thursday, I asked you to ask each other or to think about the question, who's your one? Right? As we're living out our faith, as we're being equipped and empowered, who's the one person you have in mind this year that you're going to commit to pray for, to share the gospel with, and to hopefully see respond in faith so that next year at this time they're sitting right next to you at this event. Now again, God has to give the new life, but we have to be committed to actually do our part too, right? So be active in missions where you are. Engage others. You know, there was another story I heard this week about, again, just another neighbor in the community that was just very harsh and very hard against the gospel, against church people, but it was just people of this church living out their faith, doing what neighbors do, doing what believers do, engaging with kindness, sharing the gospel, serving and eventually, that person became very open to a friendship and, the, and allowed the gospel to be shared with them clearly before they passed away. Okay, that's engaging, that's engaging people for the gospel here. And that's what each of us can do as an extension of this church. Like, that's the impact you can have, remember this morning, that's going to radiate out to all the parts of the community. So one last conclusion Okay, the church can be involved in identifying, in equipping, empowering, in affirming, and then finally in releasing or sending. Now, this isn't a new con a concept here We've, that started in chapter 13. Remember in Acts 11, 22, the church in Jerusalem did what to, to Barnabas? They sent them. In Acts 11:30, the church in Antioch sends Paul and Barnabas. In Acts 13, the church in Antioch sent Paul and Barnabas. Now, where did they get this idea of sending? Again, it's an idea Jesus initiated back in John 20. In John 20, Jesus is meeting with his disciples, and in verse 21, after he shares with them what's on his heart, he says, as the Father sent me, even so I send you. Right? I am sending you. Okay, this is an idea that Jesus initiated, and now the, the church is able to live out. The Father sent the Son into the world so that through him the world might be saved. And we're to do the same thing. In the Gospels, we see Jesus sending, uh, Jesus was the sending authority, right? He was the sending authority. He was the accountability. He sent out disciples. They came back and reported to him and receive further equipping. So as the church is born, while Jesus remains our ultimate authority, he does delegate a certain responsibility to the church for sending, for accountability, for equipping. So let's talk about send for a minute. The local church is the primary sending authority and primary level of accountability. Okay, Jesus Christ was sent into the world to fulfill a mission. We, born-again believers in Christ, are also sent into the world to fulfill a mission locally, right, where you live, as well as globally, to the ends of the earth. Now, when we're discussing ascending church, there's a nuance lost in English um, in our translations, because there are different words for send that kind of mean different things. Um, in English, send typically just means send. Um, in Acts 11.22, Barnabas was sent, right? It's a word that means to send on a mission, 
In Acts 30, Paul and Barnabas were sent. Okay, it's, it's a similar word that means to like dispatch for the purpose of achieving a goal. Okay, both very similar words. We get our word apostle from, from these words. In Acts 13, verse 3, the word sent there actually means to grant freedom or to release. Okay, it's, the, it's a verb to loose. So when the church at Antioch sent Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13, after affirming their gifts, after their, their ministering together, the church wasn't directing Paul and Barnabas what to do. They were affirming that God had called them, and then they were releasing them to do what the Holy Spirit was calling them to do. Now that releasing came with accountability. We see in Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch to give a report. Uh, Acts 18, Paul and Silas returned to Antioch to give a report. Uh, so the local church here, I think we can see the beginnings of this, where the local church has the responsibility and the opportunity to be the sending authority, not, not directing missionary activity, but affirming what God has already done and be this primary level of accountability. So if the church is to send, what do we do as missionaries or as church members? Well, we're to be sent. We're to be sent. Mature members are sent out by the local church. We're to be sent ones. Again, John 20, 21, Jesus said, I am sending you. Uh, if we could pull the chart up again. In John 20, as well as in Luke, I believe, who was Jesus speaking to? The disciples, right? And what were the inner circle of those disciples called? Her murmuring and grinding of teeth out there. Exactly, apostles. They were called apostles. That word apostles means sent one, right? They were dispatched for the purpose of achieving a goal. So Jesus' great commission, he sent the apostles out to continue his mission in the world. Hey, so when we talk about missionaries, we're essentially describing the function of the post-resurrection apostles with a small a, sent on mission for Christ under the authority of Jesus. How many of you grow up singing the song, Be a Missionary Every Day? Okay. Says, be a missionary every day. There you go. There's our true believer right there. Okay. Yeah. Now, it's a catchy song, right? Very catchy song, um, but not probably exactly accurate. Um, while very catchy, the song paints, I think, an inaccurate, inaccurate picture in our mind of, of what a missionary is. I, just to kind of spoiler, like we're not all missionaries. We're not all sent out under the authority of a local church and accountable, accountable to that local church. Now we are all to do the work of a missionary. We are all to live on mission to see God's mission accomplished, but we're not all sent in the same way. But what if I'm not a sent missionary? Well, I'd say, praise the Lord, 
but you're still obligated to be obedient to Christ, right? To actively engage in the mission of God. So as the local church releases people into ministry, our response is to, as a church, to send and be sent. So really as believers, the question that we need to ask ourselves is not if I'm going to be a part of God's mission, it's how. How am I going to be a part of God's mission? If you're a Christian, then you've been called to be a part of what God is doing. Now, we talked about how in Acts 1-8, we looked at that on Thursday. Jesus gave us this kind of spiraling, geographic, ethnic, kingdom, gospel growth pattern that we can follow in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, the ends of the earth. Okay, this is a cultural geographical spiral that kind of, kind of reaches out that has now incorporated us. We're to be dependent on the Holy Spirit, right? We're to be in a right relationship with the Lord. We're to engage in missions to see the mission accomplished, the vision realized for the sake of his name in the nations. So I have a kind of a comparison chart I'm going to put up here. Um, what things the church should be involved in and what things the body should be involved in. What things the church leadership should be involved in and what things the, the church membership, regular tenders, should be involved in. Okay, we see the church leadership involved in identifying. Well, as they're identifying, we see the church body responding by being active and living out your faith. Serve. As, as we see the church leadership equipping and empowering, we see the, the membership's role is to be equipped, <laughs> to be empowered, be discipled, be mentored, be prepped for ministry. As we see the local church leadership affirming those people that are serving and identifying their gifts and, and helping them affirm them through, through practice, through teaching, through training, through ministry, through serving. We see the, the body engaging others, right? They're engaging others as they're affirming those gifts. And then as we see the local church sending or releasing, we see the church body being sent, right? Or sending. So there's a, there's a local, there's a leadership aspect, but then there's just a body aspect, I think, to our role in missions. God has called every believer to be completely, be completely engaged in his mission, the thing we have to do is we have to respond, right? To everything we read in Scripture, to every principle that we're shared with, we have to respond. We are to be obedient, even if we don't feel like it. How many of y'all have read books by Rosaria Butterfield? Does that name sound familiar? Her story is very interesting. You, should, you can read about it. Uh, she was in very deeply entrenched in the uh, LGBTQ community. Um, she was saved. She responded in faith. And, and during her story, she says this. She said, I, I realized that I had to be obedient to God and his word, even though I didn't feel like it. And I thought, man, that's so good. Like, how often do we not feel like <laughs> being obedient to his word? But our obedience to God and his word must come before our feelings. 
hey, our feelings change, our feelings lead us astray, but God's word will never lead us astray. Now, that statement isn't made to make you feel guilty, but it is made to help you see that sometimes we might need a a perspective change. We're to be obedient to Christ, not because we want to or because we're comfortable doing it, you know, not because we feel like it, but because he's worthy of our response, right? He's worthy of our obedience. So we're going to here's some ways that we can respond to all of this, to our, to our time together for the whole week, really. And Thursday, I kind of shared two of these that you'll see again. Okay, we are all called to engage in the mission of God, right? We're all called to highlight the beauty of the gospel in the, to the people in our church and the people in our community. So a simple response, Christ has commanded, what will our response look like? We'll live it out. Right? Live out the gospel with your mouth and your movements. Engage others. Right? Engage others around you with your words, with your actions, with your life. Not simply inviting people to church, but inviting them to who? To Christ, right? And then send and go. Right? Send and be sent. Right? Allow the, the local church leadership here to identify your areas of giftedness, to equip and empower you, to pour into you, to help you to, to engage people around your ministry and affirm those things, and then to be sent or to be kind of released into ministry for God's glory. So that kind of wraps up our thoughts, kind of some bookends on our times together. Um, there's so much opportunity, right? There's so many, so many opportunities to be that, that setting that, in that diamond, right, that highlights the beauty of the gospel. And each of, us, each of us is different, right? Each of us has different gifts, different talents, and we can all use those things uh, to engage in missions, to see not our vision realized, right, but to see God's vision realized and to be a part of what he's doing. So I appreciate your responsiveness, uh, to our times together and some of the things that you've shared. And, and I just hope and pray that at Merrimack Valley Baptist Church that you continue to grow in kind of laying this foundation of biblical truth that will develop into the making of disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. I pray that God will use you to make an impact here in this community that is so biblically sound and attractive that that gospel impact radiates out, drawing people to Christ. Can we pray together? Dear God, thank you again for our time. Thank you that uh, you've allowed us to meet together just to focus on missions and on your word and uh, just our need for engaging our neighbor as well as the people in other nations. Uh, So God, I pray that you would just burden each of our hearts, not only for the nations abroad, but for our neighbors right here. And that we would see that gospel impact begin at home and radiate out to our surrounding communities, to our uh, counties, to other states and across the world. Uh, So God, I pray you'd give us that burden, give us that heart, help us to use the gifts and talents you've given us to engage in our communities and in the world around us for your glory. Uh, So God, thank you uh, that you love us and that you use us. And uh, we just want to just praise you for who you are and what 
you're still doing in the world. Thank you that you call and use each one of us, even though you don't have to. Uh, we praise you that you do, and you allow us to participate in what you're doing, and we want to give you the glory for that. And I will thank you for our evening here together and for our time, and pray you would just be a blessing to this church and that you would help them to uh, be a blessing to their community um, for you. And uh, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.